This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I know there was, are there still people waiting for seats out there? Are we good? Can y'all give me a, because the whole front row right here is wide open. All right. Um, we've had an incredible week and an incredible Sunday last Sunday. Last Sunday, we were just preaching through Hebrews 10 and came to this text in which very clearly articulated that you cannot keep ignoring the call of Jesus on your life. You just can't ignore it. And you can't hear the gospel time and time again and just walk over it and neglect to receive the Lord, that that kind of thing has incredible eternal consequences. That was our text last week, the consequences of just stepping over the Lord and ignoring the gospel. And by God's grace, we had 27 people baptized last week, which was an amazing thing. Um, but this has been an amazing week. I don't know about yesterday. I didn't get a report yesterday. But every other day this week, we've seen people come to Christ. Every day this week. And God is just, uh, God is stirring something. And we're excited to see what he's doing. Uh, we had seven baptized in the first service. Just people that came saying they needed to get saved and baptized. And then I believe already we have scheduled like 25 at the end of today's service. And uh, we didn't come today, I just want to be clear, to celebrate what God did we came to get in on what God is doing. Just want to make that really clear. So God's doing stuff, and he, he did stuff, and we're really thankful for that. And it is right and good to celebrate that, and we want to celebrate that. We did at the end of the service, and we just keep giving glory for what he's done. But we're not talking in past tense this morning. Right now, we've gathered to see what God wants to continue to do. God is working, and God is moving. And I don't know why we're so surprised. We've been asking him to do this. We've been getting on our knees for about three months now, every Sunday morning, just saying, God, do something. Like, we want to humble ourselves before you. We're not satisfied with what we can create. We want to see what you are able to do, and God is moving, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, and I really believe that there's more to be done this morning. I'm very burdened this morning, excited but burdened. Jace received, our student pastor received an email uh, this week, and... Um, he showed it to me and I asked for him to ask that student if I could share it. I'm not gonna give you his name, but listen to this email because I think it represents what I've been dealing with a lot this week and what other people are feeling. Here's what it says. Hey, Jace, I don't know if you know me, but I'm a senior at Prince. Ever since the retreat, there was a retreat two weeks ago, when everyone was making decisions to grow closer to God and to live a life through him, I never stood up because I never had the courage to do it. I could feel God moving in my life and I could literally hear him telling me to stand up and make that decision, but I just couldn't. Seeing all my classmates cry and make these decisions made me want to cry and make that decision as well. But again, I just couldn't do it. And I didn't want to look like a fool in front of everyone. Every night since the retreat, I've wanted to do something and say something about living a life through Christ and making that decision. So that's why I'm reaching out because I can't keep it a secret anymore. I want to get baptized and live a life through Christ. And I was hoping that I could talk about it sometime. To which Jace was over there in about 36 seconds. 
Three updates about that story. Number one, he's getting baptized today. Uh, Number two, I did ask if I could use his story and not say his name. He said, read the story and tell my name. I don't care, which is awesome. Number three, what he didn't know, what he didn't know is his little brother was wrestling with the same thing. So he tells his little brother what God is doing in his life. And then his brother writes Jace and says, I've always wanted to follow Christ, but sometimes I'm stubborn and I push that thought out of my head, but I can't reject the Lord anymore. I want to follow him and live for him. And he's getting saved today. I mean, he's getting baptized today too. But the reason I read that to you is because from conversations I'm having this week, what I believe is that a lot of people are struggling with this question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Like following Jesus costs you something. I don't know exactly what. All I know is this. The invitation to come to Jesus is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the only life and the only way and the only truth? If so, then surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's it. So Jesus only asked for one thing, everything. Plans, hopes, dreams, everything you've got, everything. He asked for it. And if you're one of those that needs like the two-year, three-year, five-year plan, following Jesus is not going to work for you. You actually have to die to that. But that's okay because you believe that Jesus keeps his promises and you're believing that he can do better with your life than you can. You're making a mess out of it. And Jesus is inviting you to come and to trade your life for his. But you do have to answer the question, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? And amazingly, just I love the way in which I just love walking with, I love walking with the Lord in a real and dynamic daily way. There's just nothing, there's nothing worse than faking just that you love Jesus and having a little religious experience. That's just a terrible way to live. But there is nothing better than just walking with Jesus. And so just amazing what God is doing. The next text, so we don't jump around here at Prince, we just go to the next text is exactly answering the question, is it worth the cost? I'm just thankful that this morning as God is stirring, we get another opportunity to call you to trust and follow Jesus. And so I'm gonna tell you again what I said last week. Listen very carefully. So I'm gonna preach this text and we're gonna go a little bit quicker than normal. And then at the end of the service, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to trust Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to trade your broken marriage and your broken life and all of the brokenness in your life for wholeness in Jesus. And I'm gonna ask you to do what the Bible asks you to do, and that's to immediately make that public through baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a symbol of what Christ has already done, namely this, that your old life is buried and you get a new life in Jesus. And when I get done preaching, we're gonna pray, and I'm gonna stand right here. I'm gonna wait for you. And if you wanna come and be baptized this morning, we're gonna walk up together. And Jace and I are going to be baptizing. And you're saying, well, I didn't bring anything. Well, you know, we got it, okay? Small to triple X. T-shirts, shorts, towels. We got everything. You don't need to worry about it. And we're doing this because we really believe that we're in a moment. And let me tell you specifically what I, what I, one thing. I think God's going to do a lot of surprising things today. Let me tell you one thing. And this is not me just being weird saying I feel like the Lord is saying. I was in this room walking, praying, seeking the Lord late last night. And here's one specific thing I think God wants to do in the midst of college students and everybody else, I think, that needed something to happen. I think some parents need to give their lives to Jesus this morning. I think some of you 
have seen your kids getting right with God. And it's time for you as a family to say, all right, we're going to follow Jesus as a family. Jace and I already decided that we're both going to go up here into the service. And I would love to baptize a parent right when Jace baptizes a a teen. And so we're going to give you that opportunity this morning because I think God wants to do that. What an unbelievable thing. Let's look at our text in Hebrews 10. As we talk about, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost? If you're there in Hebrews 10, 32, say amen. It says this. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, meaning after you came to Christ, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And listen to this verse. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So it was my plan to preach all of this, 32 through 39, specifically on the issue of endurance. We're gonna talk about that next week because I really wanted to focus on three verses, 32, 33, and 34, because those three verses talk about the cost of following Jesus and why it's worth it to give your life to Jesus. I wanna remind you this book is written to a church in Rome in 70 AD. In 64 AD, and this is important, listen, in 64 AD, the emperor Nero, historians believe, burned Rome. Then blamed the Christians for the burning of Rome and declared open season on Christians. If you wanted to kill a Christian, kill a Christian. The entire nation hated them because they got blamed for the burning of Rome. But it wasn't just open season, it was systematic killing of Christians. This was like state-sponsored terrorism on Christians. They were the target of the entire nation. And this is the context, watching as Christians had been burned, watching as they had been fed to lions, watching as they had been thrown in prison. This is the context in which these people heard the gospel and received an invitation to follow Jesus. Think about this. Like you're watching as Christians are being systematically and publicly destroyed and murdered in brutal ways. There are stories written by first century accounts of exactly what happened that I wouldn't read in this audience because they're so terrible. So they knew all of this and then heard the invitation, would you like to give your life to Jesus? And then would you like to get baptized? And they didn't have baptismals, so they did what I've done many times Specifically, I used to work a lot in the Central European country of Montenegro. When someone gets saved in the service, I've been a part of this, they get saved, everybody leaves, they walk through the city, down to the river that runs through the city and get baptized right there. So this is what's happening. So would you like to give your life to Jesus and then go public with it, given the context of everything that is going on here? I mean, just imagine counting the cost. So these people actually had to count the cost. Which Luke 14, Jesus said is a good thing. He said, no one builds a house without counting the cost. Why are you gonna give your life to Jesus without counting the cost? That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Count the cost. It's gonna cost you something. Imagine them counting the cost. 
Now listen, this is not our fault. We live in America and God brought us to this place and we're not ashamed of that. We're thankful. But listen, here's what I'm asking you to do today and let's compare that to what they were being asked to do. I'm asking you in an air-conditioned room with a heated baptistry. I checked it this morning. And we give you a free t-shirt. And everyone at the end is gonna a clap. You're gonna get a standing ovation for getting back. That's what we do here at Prince. You're gonna stand up and then you're gonna get like people that come and say, we wanna walk with you and help you and encourage you and bless you. So that's what you get here when you give your life to Christ. But listen, there is still a cost. It's gonna cost you something because you're laying everything to the Lord and saying, Lord, I trust you with it. You can do better. There is still some cost and there is something in our hearts that always makes us just a little bit afraid of surrendering to Jesus. But here's the verse for that. Perfect love casts out fear. If Jesus loves you perfectly, you don't have to be afraid of what he's gonna do to your life because what he is gonna do is better than anything you could do with your life. And so in that context, with all of that, not just potential for suffering, the reality of suffering, these people made the decision to follow Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 32. He's asking them to remember those days when they first came to Christ after you were enlightened. And that's, uh, I think, a little allusion to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. You can write that down where it says, the God who said light will shine out of darkness is the God who has shown his light in our hearts. Meaning, if anyone gets saved, it's just as big of a miracle as God saying, let there be light. And you can't say, let there be light, and there's light. Neither can you just say, I'm going to get saved and be saved. God, if you have a desire to get saved, God is working in your heart. He's turning on the light. That's an amazing thought. And he's turning on the lights this morning. Literally, like a little light bulb's going off. And you're going, I don't know Jesus. I need Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus. This is what happened to them. They were enlightened. God shown the light of the glory of Christ. And then it says, right after that happened, look at the words there, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, plural, a hard struggle with sufferings. That word struggle there uh, is an athletic word that means a hard thought contest. Like you're in a battle. It's one of those games that goes back and forth and back and forth and you're not sure who's gonna win. Saying that's, that's what you endured And let me just remind you of a reality of living in a broken world that most of the time as Christians, you're gonna feel like we're not gonna win. Like that just look like darkness is winning. I just wanna assure you, darkness will not prevail. God will win, his kingdom will stand. And when everything on this world is burned and gone and destroyed, God will establish his kingdom here and reign and rule forever and ever, he will win. But just like his kingdom, we often wonder, God, are we going to win here? And in your life, I assure you, God is going to win. But it's tough sometimes, and they're not sure, and they're feeling that. You say, what did that struggle look like specifically? Well, look, it tells us first, sometimes they were publicly exposed to reproach. Reproach, we might think in some ways that the physical Pain of suffering is the most difficult, but could it be for some of us, the biggest fear we have is the verbal reproach. The shame, the insults, the 
People asking, well, I thought you already knew the Lord. Have you been faking it this whole time? Like all of that. But what they had here is public reproach, meaning they were publicly shamed, publicly insulted, publicly ridiculed, publicly despised. So there was this public reproach. There was also public suffering. Look, exposed to public reproach and to affliction. So they were dragged into public and they were tortured and they were killed. And even more than that, it says this, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Now, this is actually amazing because what it's saying is that some of you have not suffered, but some in your church have suffered and they've been thrown into prison. Now, in the first century in a prison, you didn't get three meals a day in craft time. If you wanted food, someone had to bring it to you. So here's church members thrown in prison and here's the church huddled up knowing that if they don't bring food to the prisoners, the prisoners are gonna starve. So what do they do? They take baskets of food and they deliver them to the prison. Imagine the risk involved in that. But they're willing to do it. It says that exactly. It says they're partners with those who treated for you had compassion, verse 34, on those in prison. Compassion not just being a feeling, compassion being an action in which you step into the suffering and the difficulty and the hardship of someone else. And that's exactly what they did. Then it says this, they endured, verse 34, the plundering of their property. That means they were robbed, everything was taken from them. I said a minute ago, I spent a lot of time working in the old Balkans in Montenegro and Serbia and Croatia and Slovenia, all of that area, and there's just thousands of refugees. And what it means to be a refugee is this, is that because of some religious or political persecution, someone comes and knocks on your door and they tell you to leave. And you have no choice in the matter. You have no power. You have no rights. You take your kids and you're just thankful you're alive. And you take what you have on your body and you start walking and you have no idea where you're going. You may have to walk to another country. You may have to walk a hundred miles, but that's what a refugee is. Someone that is made for some reason leave their home. This is what was happening to Christians. Their property was plundered. Someone knocks on the door, says, get out of here. Somebody takes all of their stuff and they start walking. Just imagine that, your little baby in hand and the whole family just walk, no idea where to go, no protection whatsoever, legal for you to be publicly just brutally tortured if anybody knows who you are. And that's exactly what's happening to them. That the plundering of their property, they're displaced, they have no protection, they're refugees. So this is not like something that might happen. This is the situation, okay? So the question is, how do they respond? Like, how do you feel when everything that you've worked for is taken away from you? How do you feel when friends and family members are in prison? Well, it tells us with two words. It says, first of all, they endured. Do you see verse 32? Remember the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So what that simply means is they just, st- they faced it with courage and they didn't back down. I think about Philippians 2, 27, when Paul says, I want to hear, 1, I want to hear that you are standing firm in one faith. It's a military word, uh, which simply means that you're gonna stand your ground and you will not retreat. That's, that's a great visual there. So they're saying, oh, we're gonna stand here and we're not gonna retreat. Take my stuff, send my dad to prison, whatever, but we're not gonna retreat, we're gonna stand. That's what it means by endured. They endured, they stood, they fought the fight. They did well. Now, you might have a temptation right there to think, well, man, just by sure grit and the power of the Holy Spirit, they just decided that we're gonna stand here and we're not gonna move. And that's true. But look what else it says. 
not only do they endure, look at verse 34, they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Okay, so that's, that's next level. So on one side, there was really a sport been made out of torturing Christians. They, many of them, uh, if they found out you're a Christian, they would clothe you in the skin of an animal and then throw you to the lions. So this was happening, and it was a sport. Everybody in the Coliseum cheering as you get devoured, you and your family, and you just stay there. And they endured that. They did that. But it says they also joyfully accepted it. And so the more the persecution came, the more the cost, the more their suffering, they grew in two things. They grew in strength and joy. They got stronger and happier. Now sometimes, listen, sometimes we just got to stop for a minute and stop being preachy and stop being churchy, okay? And just think. Like think about this moment. Plundering of property, torture, all of that. And there's not just increased strength by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is increased joy. Like you meet a believer walking with his family because his whole home was just, and he's happy. Like that's, that's hard to believe. It increased their joy. It said they joyfully accepted this. No anger, no bitterness, no resentment, no protest, no fury, just joy. You just have to ask, like, where did that, where does that come from? I mean, that's the question today. The question is, is it worth it? Is it worth that? And their answer is yes. Like, they felt some reason it was worth it. And why did they think that it was worth it? We find the answer to that in one little phrase. Look there, verse 34. Look at verse 34. You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How do you do that? Like, how do you get happy and strong when everything seems to be taken away from you for the cause of Christ, here it is. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So they knew something. So if you think that maybe coming to church or reading your Bible is not important, what kept them joyful and strong is they knew something, okay? They knew something. They had heard of a promise in the word of God. They had read a promise in the word of God and they knew it and they believed it. What did they, what did they know? Well, they knew that no matter what it cost them to follow Jesus, what they were gonna get in return was better and lasting. They believed that the eternal reward was greater than the earthly cost. So listen, did they lose something? Yeah, that was a lot. Reputation, job, home, possessions, they lost a ton. But were they rewarded for that? Yes, because what they did is they traded something temporary for something eternal. Temporary, the approval of man. I just always, one of the things I love to tell students is it's just amazing how controlled students can be by the approval of those that they won't even remember five years from now. And all adults, same thing. Like the proverb says, the fear of man is a trap. I Meaning it doesn't kill you, it just keeps you stuck. That's very temporary. What someone thinks about you is temporary. You not making a decision for Christ is eternal. The cost, the difficulty, the changing of your plans, that's 
temporary, but what's eternal is the better life that God wants to give you and he wants to begin now. So they just made a decision by faith to believe that what they got in return was better than what they gave up. So just think about it this way. Just imagine you had 20 bucks and that's all you had in your pocket and I said, I need your $20. You say, well, it's the last $20 I've had. I say, well, I know, but I need it. And you give me your $20. And then what I do is I take your $20 and I put it in my wallet, but I take out of my wallet $1,000 cash. And I said, I wanna trade you your $20 for $1,000. Now listen, and by the way, this is not gonna happen. That's gonna be really clear. So if that happens, you can't go tell the story, Pastor Josh took my last $20. Well, I really, I really gave something to the Lord this morning. I gave $20. You can't say that because you got a thousand. Listen to this. I know the cost seems a lot now. I know that the Lord is saying to you, give me everything and surrender, but listen, what you get in return is better than anything you give up. So they didn't really see this as a sacrifice. Here's the key. They saw it as a trade, a good trade. What they said is, Lord, I'm gonna give you my broken marriage. I'm gonna give you my broken life. I'm gonna give you my addictions Because not only are we broken, but the more we walk outside of the way of Jesus, we make ourselves more broken and more broken and more broken. So God, I'm gonna give you all my broken stuff. And then what I wanna get back from you in return is your ability through the power of the spirit to rebuild my life back into wholeness, to forgive me of my sins, to clean my conscience, to take away the guilt of my sin and instead give me life. That's a really good trade. It's actually not a sacrifice. Like I just, it's interesting to me, Christians, oh, well, we're sacrificing for the Lord. No, you're not. If you get something better, you can't call that a sacrifice. So you know what the Lord is asking from you today? Is he's asking for you to make a trade. To believe the simple promise of scripture that God rewards those who seek him. That's Hebrews eleven six. What does it mean to have faith? It just means this, you believe that Jesus can do better with your life than you can. You believe that the only way for you to be saved from your sins and to save from eternal hell is Jesus Christ. But this is not just about getting you out of hell. This is about giving you a new life right now. And so you take everything you have and all that you are and say, God, I don't know what this means, but I trust you and I'm giving it to you. And he in return says, all right, now let's, let's, let's begin this journey together of trusting and following Jesus. So if if you've been around Prince for a while, we always say this, this is our mission. We wanna lead people to trust and follow Jesus. What we say it means to be a believer. Listen, what does it mean to be a Christian? Trust and follow, that's it. Trust Jesus, here's everything. And then because I believe that this is right, I'm gonna choose day by day to follow you no matter what it costs me because I know that what I get in return is better. That's what Jesus is asking of you. Some of you have a little battle going on in your head, a battle going on in your life because you're thinking about the cost. What are people gonna think? What's it gonna mean for you? All that kind of stuff, like that's real. But what I wanna say to you is you've gotta die to that and believe by faith that what Jesus has is better. And that's the moment you come to Christ. You say, Lord, I'm ready. I wanna receive everything you have for me. And listen, there are parents in this room that need to make that decision. There are college students. There are high school students, middle school students. They're singles that need to make that decision to say, God, I'm sick of playing religion. Let me tell you one last story. We baptized a guy last week. He's just weeping, grown man. 
And he said, and the Baptist said, I said, what's going on? And he said, I need a new heart. So I followed up and we met this week and, and here's what he told me. He said, he's a member of our church, serves. He said, when I was young, I got a dose of religion just enough to make me and everyone around me think I was okay. But I never got Jesus. And he said, I want, I want Jesus. Like I want a new heart. And he could tell because his heart, there was no love for God. There was no affection and desire. There was just a dose of religious activity. And listen, that is a dangerous thing to get a dose of religion. I just, I just want to beg you, don't miss Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.